1: Hey guys, it's Johnny, and welcome to episode 135 of the Travel Like Boss podcast. I'm back in Chiang Mai and I'm here with Eric LaFlesche. Hey, Johnny, how's it going? In the flesh. (laughs) This is not
0: the first time I've heard that one.
1: Yeah. So tell me
0: a little bit about yourself and where you came from, how we met. Sure, Yeah. are here? Yeah, sure, for sure. Um, So I'm originally from Boston, but for the past five years on or off, I've lived in New York City. Um, Some traveling in between for my job, but ultimately New York City for the majority of the time. I came out to Chiang Mai two weeks ago. Um, I've been here f- for about 10, 14 days and I'm working on my own businesses now. Uh, left my corporate job about four months ago, three, four months ago. And it
1: was an interesting corporate job too.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, um, I work for a few different companies, but most recently uh, Anheuser-Busch or Budweiser. And I'm, I'm sure everyone listening to this has had lots of Budweiser in their life,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. especially Americans.
0: If they're American, they're probably switching to, away from a lager, but yeah. <laughs> and going to more craft beer. But they've probably had it in their lifetime.
1: Has that affected? Like Anheuser-Busch or Budweiser?
0: Yeah, it totally has. You know, um, if you look at their investments over the past 5, 10 years, you'll notice they're buying a lot of craft breweries because of the switch from um, a lager-style beer to a craft beer in the American um, culture. Now, that's not global yet, but that shift to craft is slowly happening around the world. I've
1: noticed that, actually.
0: Is, so is that just like a hipster thing, or <laughs> is it?
1: Do is the taste of craft beer really better?
0: I, I mean, it, it's all debate based on the palate, but I think a lot of people were sick of the mass-marketed beers and they wanted to go more local. So they started buying craft and then mo- started this movement of people. They're like, I-, I buy local, I buy craft, I don't buy big-name loggers." And then that shifted into a mass-market play over time. You know, from that grassroots craft following, it turns into a mass-market uh, beer over time. Beer, yeah, yeah it's just- And it's crazy because I think eventually everything
1: that is successful becomes popular.
0: Exactly. If it's not good, then it'll never become popular. <laughs> exactly. And my, my question is, what's after craft? Because right now, craft is becoming very, very popular. Is there going to be another strain or another type of beer that comes out?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, and that's pretty much with everything in life, right? Um, I just listened to a, a podcast. I think it was Planet Money about apples. Yep. And they were saying that when we grew up, there was Red Delicious or like green you know granny smith green and they're both terrible <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> unless you caramelize them and you know or dip them in chocolate they're not good yeah and i don't know how many years ago well, it was maybe five or ten years ago all these craft apple gro- um like growers started coming out
0: yeah exactly having like
1: fuji started having like golden crisp and all these things yeah and all the, the good ones the yeah. good apples
0: the people that ones that and they actually taste good now yeah, yeah exactly so and that trend's going to continue i think
1: yeah it's definitely done that with, with beer uh, so, thing, so what do you think of
0: the beer in Thailand? Um, I mean, I've mainly had loggers and a few imported. Um, Chang is—it reminds me of a Bud Light or a Budweiser. <laughs> you know, it's a lager based beer, so it's good. I, I enjoy it, um, but I haven't gone deep into the local craft styles or the local uh, beers that much.
1: So here's an interesting fact about beer in Chiang Mai: is the reason why most people only have chang or the two other big brands which is like singa and leo is because there is pretty much a monopoly on beer and it is actually illegal to brew to sell craft beer oh really and that's why it is almost impossible to find i did find a company here in chiang mai called my beer friend (laughs) (laughs) which made really good craft beer oh really like like really nice but When I would contact them and say, where can I buy your beer? (laughs) They say, oh, like, you know, we have some at this sushi restaurant, but just this weekend. Oh, kind of under market. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to go, like, to this, like, farm to table dinner on a farm somewhere with rustic and blue. And they had, because it was a private event. Yeah. They had, like, their kegs there. And it was really nice. That's awesome. And so when I found out, I was like, you know, why don't you just sell this everywhere? Because it's that good. And it's because... They they have a monopoly. You just can't. Yeah. They, nobody can come in.
0: Yeah. So it's. I mean that that can cause a big barrier. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the beer companies here help put that legislation in place and, and make it so they had a, monop- a monopoly on the beer market yeah. overall. I, I'm a hundred
1: percent sure that is why that's yeah. happened. Yeah. Um,
0: but what's funny is
1: because things like cider are not part of that. You know that deal. Uh, there's like all these craft cider makers now. Oh, that's awesome! And there's some good ones. There's one called Moose that's like a like a nice apple cider that's beer the brewed in Thailand.
0: That's awesome. I mean, bring a couple American marketers over here, and you can probably have a ton of great brands in the cider space. I yeah. mean, my beer buddy is probably <laughs> the, the best <laughs> branding in the world, but I mean, a little change in that could really go a long way. <laughs> Actually, My beer buddy sounds better, but this one
1: is my beer friend. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you know, like my dear friend. Yeah, but it's it's nice. That's but. cool. Okay. That's nice. so so uh, you worked at a cool corporate job, um, yeah, was in fun. New York as well. Yeah. So I'm sure you got paid a lot.
0: Yeah, I was. It was a. It was a very um, nice paycheck. I worked right next to Grand Central Station um, on 46th Street. Okay. So right downtown, it was a great. It was a great job. A lot of perks. Going to concerts all the time. Going to sporting events. Got to go to Super Bowl. Wow, um, that's cool. Yeah, my 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 old boss uh, when he was at Super Bowl. Uh, was sitting right next to Tiesto, you know, like this crazy, this crazy world, but also very, very, very busy and long hours. I can imagine that. What was your official job title? Um, digital marketing manager for Budweiser Global. Oh,
1: nice. Okay. Yeah. Can I ask you what your salary was? Uh, I'll say it was over, well over six figures. Okay. Can I ask what your expenses were? Uh, <laughs> also, well over, <laughs> <figures>? <laughs> well over six figures.
0: Yeah, it was, it was, Um, it was quite expensive to live in New York. Um, I actually lived in Hoboken um, on the Hudson River. I kind of like getting away from the city sometimes because it's a crazy life there. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good spot. And so,
1: did you have to commute into Manhattan
0: to work, or was your office out in Hoboken? Uh, I commuted. I took the ferry every day. So I took my ferry was right outside of the door. Jumped on the ferry, went over to um, uh, the ferry terminal, and took a bus over to work. So total commute time from your doorstep at home to your office. How long was it? Uh, depending on traffic and the time I left. If I left really early at six in the morning, it'd be. 40 minutes. If I left around 8 or 9, it could be up to an hour and a half depending on traffic. That's crazy. Yeah. And i bet be on like a nice day. You don't mind being on the ferry. Yeah. When it's sunny out, it, like you're sitting on the roof and you see like the Freedom Tower and the Empire State and it's like glimmering with the sun. It's great and the wind's in your face, but when it's raining, it's miserable. <laughs> we actually
1: have something called the Freedom Tower.
0: Yeah. Well, um, the, the Freedom Tower is the the new World Trade Center. Oh, I didn't know that. I yeah. didn't know what it was called. Yeah, so it's the giant. It's the biggest um, tower in Manhattan now. Okay, good yeah. name. I like it. I approve. It's, yeah, yeah, it's it's good based off of everything that happened. I think yeah. the naming comes along really well. Okay, yeah. so do you miss that commute at all? Not at all. You know, <laughs> I don't miss waking up, putting a button down on with some, uh, luckily with the Budweiser, we could wear jeans, which was nice. Um, I don't, but I don't miss going back and forth and then sitting in an office for 14 hours a day.
1: What, what is your, your commute and your day and your dress like now that you're a digital nomad entrepreneur in Chiang Mai?
0: Uh, flip flops, <laughs> um, some, uh, usually an Under Armour shirt or an athletic shirt and some shorts and the commute. From my place to Pun Space um, on my moped is less than ten minutes, and if I walk, it's maybe fifteen twenty. Um, and sometimes I work from home, or I go to my mall and camp, and it's all within a ten minute radius. So and, really and it's always sunny. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, there's like an occasional two hour thunderstorm that disappears after that, but it's always sunny for the most part. Yeah, so very different. So, what made you give up?
1: Because you're making over six figures, you're living in you know in New York. You, you got access to all this cool stuff. I mean, I think people dream about getting you know, these perks, right? I mean, like, you named a bunch. You know, being able to go to the Super Bowl alone is amazing. Yeah. But I'm sure you got other
0: perks as well, right? Yeah, I mean, you meet – I met a ton of artists. I met agents. I'm. It was – there was a ton of perks. Um, but there's always a balance to that, right? So there's a bunch of perks at, uh, with the job. But at some point, it also becomes your life, right? So your entire life goes towards – one thing, um, which was for me driving Budweiser sales around the world. And I woke up, went to bed, worked out thinking about that. Um, And the perks are fun. But when you're going seven days a week, just on one thing, and you're not diverting your efforts anywhere else, or you give up something like travel, which you love so much, like, I would still travel with the company, but it would be like, I'd fly to China, go to a hotel room, go to a conference, go to a factory, get on a plane, fly home. And like that's travel, don't get me wrong, but you don't really, it's like being in Manhattan um, but in a different location for a little while just to communicate with people and then coming home. You're not going to see the site, you're not doing anything. So I was giving up a lot of things I loved to pursue a corporate job in a corporate ladder. And I, was, and I had other passions like software and e-commerce that I really wanted to keep going after. And the only way to do that was to, to peace.
1: Yeah, I understand exactly what you mean about about the travel because, you know, that going to a different place is actually my least favorite part of travel. Yeah. You know, being on the plane, being in the airports. You know, that first day sucks. Yeah, I I think if the only way that I would travel for for work would be if I can go a few days early and then stay a few days after to sightsee
0: Yeah, I mean, I did that sometimes. Like, I would I would spend a weekend in like in the city, but you were. Usually, so tired from work that you would just like, oh, I'll go get a massage, or I'll like do something to rejuvenate myself and run around and maybe go to a nightclub or something like that, and like try to squeeze something in. And it was it was fun, but it wasn't it wasn't really what I was going after.
1: I remember uh, when I used to travel for work. I remember going to London once, and all my photos were inside of nightclubs. Yeah, and I was like, this could have been anywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly.
0: Yeah, it could be in Marquee in New York City. You know, um, the only difference is the people that are there, and the style of music, and whether you can dance with someone or can't dance with somebody, or the rules of engagement with the other sex. Right. So it's like well, with with different. your uh, Budweiser corporate card, I'm sure. <laughs> was,
1: so I don't I don't know if you got this perk, but I I knew a girl in San Francisco that worked for some some um, some alcohol company, and she can go to any bar and as long as she's ordering the type of alcohol that her company sells
0: she can expense it all yeah i mean we we could expense beer right at that point we um not all of it like we could have some and if we were at different events that we hosted it would be completely free um, we were we didn't drink much hard liquor or wine. It was they're competitive companies for the most part, so you stay away from your competition. And I would drink a lot of Budweiser. Like I wouldn't even drink our fellow brands. Like there was Corona and Bud Light and Grey Goose and all the stellaritwah that we own as AB and Bev. But since I was on the Budweiser team my goal as a marketer is to push that brand and grow that brand so i devoted my life to drinking budweiser and sometimes bud light because it was like the sister brother brand even though it's a completely different marketing team it's the sister brother brand so we'd kind of focus on bud light and Budweiser. Wow, I had no idea that Bud Light was a different company. Yeah, it's like it's a different marketing team, right? So the sales team structure, the marketing team structure is all a different group within AB and Bev. That's insane. Yeah, but that kind of just shows how big these companies are, right? Yeah, they're huge. They're huge, man. Okay, so I
1: understand exactly why you left it, you know, because all the all that work you're putting in, up to fourteen hours a day, yeah, was going towards building someone else's brand. Yes, you know, and exactly. If you had put that towards your own yeah, you can imagine how big it would be. Exactly. But I'm sure there's no regrets, right?
0: No regrets, man. Like between Budweiser and Unilever which I worked at before and Apple before that, I've learned a ton and you meet so many great people and my network is huge now. I was able to build my relationships with my software developers and like all these people that are now in my Rolex of individuals that I can reach out to, you know? And I was able to go from a kid in school that kind of had an idea of what he wanted to understanding really where he wanted to go with his life and then ultimately get the confidence to be like I can go do this myself you know I don't need I don't need a corporation I don't need their money I can go out and push you know
1: I like it uh, how do you by the way
0: I'm 27 Okay. so it sounds like you, you pretty
1: much did everything that you're supposed to do and, and you did it like the right way so like you're almost like the best case scenario of someone <laughs> <laughs> kind of going through the, co- the corporations yeah I
0: mean like if you if you define the right thing as going through the corporate ladder, like so many people in the world do, um, I I guess I took the steps that are defined in university and college of what you're supposed to do in uh, in this world. But um, yeah, I mean, I I was very lucky to get the opportunities I had in these in these op in these jobs.
1: So I think some people might be listening to this thinking, oh man, those was all a waste things. Now you're just doing your own thing, and none of that really matters anymore. But I beg to differ. I think that someone, let's say someone who like didn't do any of that, they, you know, just worked at Baskin Robbins, not even, not corporate digital marketing, but like, you know, scooping ice cream, uh, smoking weed and just hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Living in Denver. Yeah. (laughs) You know, someone who, like, let's say they didn't climb the corporate ladder, they just had like, you know, some whatever job. If they came here now to start their own business, there will be a lot of skills that they would have not have picked up.
0: Yeah, completely. Okay. I completely agree. I think the amount of skills that I've picked up, communication, even presenting, working with um, agencies, investors, people that are putting money into projects, getting even corporate budgets to build out a software or build out an e-commerce business, it's all things that helped me figure out the path I was going to take and what I needed to get the money to build my businesses, the people, the resources, the organization, the project management. There's so much backbone behind... Um, building companies that taking those pieces of information I've learned over time and piecing it together and then finding the right partners in the corporate world that I can trust like one of my partners in uh, my software business I've met through university and corporate right so like these are all connections that I've had now so I, I don't regret it at all and like I got my travel bug from corporate as well. So I learned about the world. <laughs> like I left New England and New York for the first time with my, bus- with my jobs, right? And they show me what Asia had to offer, what South America had to offer, so I don't regret it at all. I think anyone that goes down that path is gonna only be further ahead when they start their own journey. I like it. So what exactly do you do now? Okay, yeah, so um, I have multiple businesses. Um, some around what you, you know, and love and talk about, which is e-commerce, um, some which is software. So I'll go into each one if you want. Yeah, um, please. so the first one I started, I actually, before I left corporate, I owned a flight school in New Jersey. So, um, I went to a university in New Hampshire called Daniel Webster and the majority of those, uh, students are actually pilots or air traffic controllers. So one of my friends, um, his name's Ben Wansky. He asked me, Hey, I want to start a flight school. Will you invest and help me do it? And I said, yes, for sure. And that was like the first thing I went into. So that, that partnership was my friend, Ben, an individual named Viju, who is a heavy investor in the business. Um, he's a doctor in New Jersey, and then myself. And we built that business over two years and ended up get, selling it um, in the past year, uh, year and a half ago, because it was just so much effort to f- maintain the students coming in, maintain the planes, and so on. So, so, so that
1: was how many years of your life? That was two years of my life. And were you pretty? Are you pretty active managing it, or
0: it was as much as I could with a corporate job, okay, which was wow. a few hours a day.
1: That's crazy. And so, at the end of the day, was it profitable? To it was. It of- was break even because
0: okay. there's so much um, facility maintenance cost. In like, if they damage the plane, fuel that we were able to break even, but we never made a profit. But we had two planes, which were worth well over six figures as well and we could sell those assets
1: okay yeah uh so so any kind of lessons learned from that
0: yeah don't go into uh, flight school <laughs> okay so don't open it don't open a
1: brick and mortar location especially if it involves million dollar aircraft, yeah right? exactly when it costs a lot of money
0: for aircraft or assets it's harder to start up but the good thing about that was i i found two of my partners for the e-commerce businesses. So one of the businesses um, I helped start was sunglasses in India. So we sell wooden sunglasses in India. They're actually called proof eyewear. They were on Shark Tank in 2011. And we own the distribution rights in the country of India now. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So
1: You know what is crazy is so, so many people I know completely avoid India as a market. Oh, you know,
0: I think it's the worst mistake in the world.
1: And, well, I would love to hear your take on it because uh, here's what we know for sure. It's huge. Yeah. It is like, I mean, there's more people in India than pretty much the rest of the world combined. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It is definitely a growing market. Yep. Uh, their economy is growing. Yeah, uh, Everybody there has internet access. Exactly. So
0: there is there is a lot of money to be made there. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the people live with their family. So this disposable income because... The 21 to 27 year olds live with their parents, so the, all they're paying for is the goods they want. Mm. They're software developers or entrepreneurs that are making good money. You know, um, a decent software engineer there can make anywhere between a thousand and four thousand dollars a month. So, and if they're living with their family, that's disposable income that they can put towards premium products. And they love American products. So, if you bring an American product or a product even on Amazon FBA to life, they're going to spend money on that. And they're Income is growing year over year over year, and there's a 1.3, 1.4 billion people. That's crazy. In India. Yeah,
1: it, it, it's insane. So I definitely think there's a lot, of, a lot of money being made there. I also think that their culture is very different than yeah. ours, so we have to really understand what they want and how they buy things. For example, for my course, Ernest Affiliate, it used to be on ClickBank, and every time I would get a buyer from India. I would think, oh my god, this is gonna be a scam. Yeah, and here's the thing: is to this day, I don't actually know exactly what it was, uh, but it, I had like a ninety-eight percent refund rate in India, and eventually, and I was just like, can I just not accept orders from India because it's not worth my my effort? Yeah, and part of it was I was thinking, you know, like, are they are they doing this just to try to like squeeze money somewhere, or? Is it actually part of the culture where they're like, oh, there's a 60-day refund policy. Let me just buy it and refund it in 58 days. Yeah, that,
0: I mean, that, that that's definitely something that you have to watch out for, right? So the same type of warranties or guarantees that we give in the U.S. We, that we know will help sell a product, and most people in the U.S., once they buy it, they, they don't think about returning something. In India, you have to shift the way you think about your warranty and your guarantees because in India, they're going to... You, they're gonna squeeze every dollar, right? That's how they grew up, that's the type of individuals they are. But um, if you can find the right way to market to them and and usually have to lower your course cost for India or your product cost, but if you can find the right way to get in, they're gonna be loyalists to your brand, especially if you're good at product. They'll they'll tell you right away what's wrong with it, but if you have a good product, they'll they'll follow you and talk about you very well. So it's, it's this balance you have to find. Our first orders on our, our sunglasses, these guys got mad because our shipping was one day late, and then they started to blow up our Facebook and Instagram page with negative comments and reviews. And I had to call the guy, and there was so many issues that was generated from a shipment delay in the one Indian one day from one day in the Indian system. It's not something we could yeah. control. So, like you have to find the balance is a lot harder, and the people in India are a little less forgiving than the U.S.
1: I see that, but at the same time, I can also see those same people if you let's say, did deliver, unless he did deliver it a day early, Yeah, they would be the ones blowing up social media saying, these guys are fantastic. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And actually, some of my closest friends now are in India because of the relationships we built over time. And if you ever go and like stay with a family there, they're just so nice. They they bring you in. They care what you, they bring you food. They care about your are a health, your life, your family, they ask for everything. My software developers send me pictures of the family all the time and like at holiday and their vacations and they're very close to you as an individual. They care about the relationship. So if you can figure out how to build a relationship as a company, it's going to be extremely beneficial to you. Great, great advice. So how did you get started with that business? So um, after the flight school, Viju, who's the the doctor, he's actually from India, Kerala, which is the bottom part of India, and he's a doctor in New Jersey right now, actually a very, very um, famous doctor in New Jersey. And he said, Eric, I wanna bring these, one of my patients had these sunglasses on, these wooden sunglasses, and they are selling distribution ship rights to countries, and I wanna bring it to India. Can you help me market it? And I'm like, Okay, sure. He's like, I'll put the money up front. You help build the business, the e-commerce site, the marketing funnels, and everything that we needed to sell it, and we'll sp- split the partnership. And I, that was easy. Yes, for me. So how? Like, like. So I'm assuming you've never done business in India before. That uh, when I was at Unilever. Um, Before Budweiser, uh, I had two software teams in India, and I've traveled there four or five times. Okay, so you
1: you had some of an idea. Okay,
0: but still, I I can't
1: imagine, like, I mean, how did you even go through that process of saying, okay, well, now I'm going to be selling (laughs) e-commerce in India?
0: It was easy for me, man. I was just like, I need to build my path out of corporate. You know, like, this this was something I've been thinking for a long time. Um, And I love the India market, and I think, unlike the U.S., which is completely... um, Saturated in many businesses, especially sunglasses trying to fight Ray band and Oakley in sunglasses in the u.s. Is extremely difficult Um, I think there's opportunity there and if I start now even if this fails Even if this fails I'll learn so much about the business system so much about the country and how to approach business there That I could start something else later on so it was an easy learning opportunity for me even if it wasn't profitable
1: and is it profitable today? Yes. Nice, man. Yes. So, so if I see some Indian guys wearing wooden sunglasses, I'll be like, hey.
0: Yeah, if it says proof on the side, okay. I want proof.in, then oh. um, it's one of our sunglasses. I like it. Okay, yeah. very cool. Yeah. All right, so that's one of your businesses. What, what else do you got? Um, so then hmm. the the there's two other, really. Um, one is just launching now and starting up, which is a combination of a drop shipping store and a private label product, which is Open World Outfitters. Um, And that is outdoor gear that we're selling in the United States. And that's actually with the other half of my business partners, which is um, Ben Watsky, who is the other individual from the flight school. And that one's kind of um, officially going to really, really launch in December and January. Because uh, as many of the people that listen to this or are involved in Amazon FPA, the inventory um, situation with Amazon is on lockdown. And they're actually our warehouse. So, we not only sell on Amazon, but we also use their warehouse to ship through our own Shopify store. So, with that, we kind of, um, I'm taking effort out of the store right now and waiting until we do an official launch, uh, hard launch in January.
1: Very cool. So, I'm, I'm looking at the site right now. Uh, it looks like it's built on Shopify. Yeah. Right? You know is it. <laughs> recommended by me. And I have a 20% off. Shopify coupon if anyone wants it to sign up for the mailing list. Awesome, which I'm sure you could have used.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think I did actually. Did you? Yeah, on your the word document on your site um, has the Shopify link. Yeah, exactly. And it's PDF. Yeah, yeah.
1: Awesome. I'm glad you're saving money on this. Um, Yeah. So, what made you guys decide to do this?
0: Um, So we. We're a lot of outdoor guys, so we love hiking and camping, and we also saw some products that we haven't officially announced yet that are huge niche opportunities, not only in the dropshipping space, but also on FBA. So we're, we, we, as partners, wanted to go into it. We've been pushing for this, and we decided to pull the trigger. We think the opportunity is outstanding, and... um we, uh, we went with it. We went with it. So, so far it's, go- it's going well. Um, we're building our apparel out. We're building our, we have backpacks. The basic stuff coming, but then we also have the niche products I think are going to be what lead people into our brand and then ultimately allow them up to sell the backpacks and other equipment that you could find from any other brand. But we want to build the loyalists and then sell those products to them.
1: I like it. So, how long have you been doing this, and is this profitable yet?
0: This one is um is just break even, but it's we've been doing it for only two months. So that one's been like we've accelerated exponentially. Um, uh-huh. I've already been to China to meet with our suppliers, and yeah, it's we've exponentially grown this one. Very cool. I yeah. like it. Yeah. All right. So, <laughs> what else you got? The la- there's one last one really, okay. and this one um I can't wait to show you Johnny once I have a better prototype. But we when I was at Unilever, I had two software um teams in India building applications for Unilever, right? And they are still run, they run on the Dove site, they run on uh, Ben and Jerry's, they run on different websites um, that Unilever owns. And I've always had these uh, ideas around e-commerce because I was in e-commerce at Unilever to bring to the Shopify community and the big commerce community and WordPress. And we finally pulled the trigger and are, are developing this idea right now that should help individuals sell more product on Shopify. And um, it's launching in the beginning of December, so I'm super excited. I'm lining up all my affiliates. I'm lining up all of my marketing campaigns, and we're getting ready to launch. But it should be, I think, at the end of the day, my most profitable business once we go live.
1: Nice, I like it. Yeah. And so, are you at liberty to talk about this yet?
0: Um, I wanna, I wanna hold it off for now. Okay. Um, but Johnny, you'll be the first one that knows about it. I'm going to show you all the okay. the beta. Uh, work I'm
1: excited to to try it out. Then I'll, I'll test out one of my stores. I, hopefully, you like it. I know you will only
0: <laughs> recommend products that uh, you actually use, so yeah. I hope that becomes something be that cool. you use. <laughs> yeah,
1: especially if I see an ROI on it, if it makes me more money, and then it can make other people money, then why not? Perfect. I like it. Yeah, man. So you've been doing a lot. And so wh- when did you when did you stop working at uh, Anheuser-Busch? Bush or um, mid
0: July? So what four months ago?
1: Yeah, so all this is, like, well, I guess, yeah, all this has pretty much been happening the last four months. The acceleration, yeah. That's insane. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so, I mean, once I put my mind to this, I just, every day grinding, going to pun Space, which you recommended. Actually, honestly, I came to Chiang Mai because of your blog. So, like, I I was doing a bunch of research in, like, Colombia or Florianopolis, Brazil, because I used to live in Brazil, Um, and... Those were all locations I really liked, and then somehow I forgot I was watching a drop shipping video that led to one of your drop shipping videos, and then that led to the vast knowledge of your blog, and I came out here. So yeah,
1: nice. Yeah. And it all it all works out, right? Yeah,
0: it's a great spot. I you can really accelerate like w- the way you work here compared to like New York or other cities. I feel like my mindset is much stronger. In this Why do you city. think that is? I it's, I mean, I'm removing all the other um, barriers and. Uh, walking to the office in New York and the noise in New York and the constant grind to climb the ladder and all those barriers that you had in life before. I removed all of them and it's quite simple. I go, I work, I talk to people and build these tools. So it's a really good spot.
1: I like it. I I, I think it's kind of almost own it's ironic where people think that New York would be like the world's epicenter of tech and business. Yeah. And I think for some businesses, you know, Absolutely but to build some kind of online business, somehow it's Chiang Mai.
0: Yeah, it's it's Chiang Mai. You know, it's um, maybe San Francisco if you're going for the um, startup vibe like community, but if you're looking for your own, starting your own business, I wouldn't recommend any other place than here. You know, It's, it's, it's funny because I have actually met more people from America, Australia, and Europe than I have that, from Thailand <laughs> since I've been here. But they're, and they're all focused on one thing, and they're willing to talk about it. You know, they're open about the,
1: it. I think that's the biggest difference between Chiang Mai and everywhere else. Here, it's just very normal for people to be super open yeah like they'll t- like you can literally ask anyone how much money do you make and they'll tell you yeah exactly
0: in new york you can't
1: ask that you can't no, even ask
0: no you can't you can't they'll they'll ask the questions you get in new york is what's your job what's your title and then they'll determine whether they want to talk to you after that and what you say you know <laughs> because you'll be put in a certain bracket of importance oh. and what you can give to that person over time so and i hate that environment i don't like being placing people in certain brackets, only talking to people for the benefit of myself. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not my vibe and a lot of people in big cities are like that.
1: Well, what's funny is that in LA, every single person you meet is like the friendliest person you'll ever meet uh, for those first five minutes. Yeah. And they'll ask
0: like, what do you do? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, re- it reminds me of um, when I lived in Sao Paulo. Uh, I think Brazilians are some of the nicest people in the world. Uh, but the one thing that they do um, that always made it difficult for me, especially in the beginning, is they'll—they're super nice up front, and they'll always be nice. Like, there's no stop to that. But they'll be like, "Hey, you should come have dinner sometime in, at this restaurant with us, or come to my house. We'll cook dinner with, for you." And then you follow up, and you're like, "Hey, so when did you want to do like dinner? When did you want to go out?" They're like, "Well, maybe next week." And then like they'll continue to push the date back. So like they're super friendly. In Brazil, but they always they'll say they want to do something and then they'll keep pushing it back and then they'll never commit to the final like date. So um, New York, they'll just never talk to you. <laughs> That's funny. Do you think it's because like
1: people are just flaky, or you know, because it's so laid back in Brazil, or why do you think that is?
0: I don't. It's it's confusing to me. It always has been. Once you make really good friends with somebody, like you've been good good, good friends, you'll go and do stuff all the time. In the beginning of a relationship, though. There was a lot of talk and a lot, a lot of action. I, I don't know if it's just a cultural thing, um, or if it's just um, people are so busy. Just like New York and Sao Paulo, just nicer. I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to determine.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Well, so the only brazilian i know is a guy named louise who i met in, in portugal and from day 1 like super open super cool invited yeah. me over for dinner yeah. but i think maybe it's because i don't know if it's because like i was literally only going to be there for a few days so it's kind of like it has to happen today or or never or because he you know uh, he was like working on new projects so he wasn't busy you know it's not like in new york where you're busy where in in Brazil you might be busy working. So like yeah, we would hang out all the time. But yeah, you're right. Like uh there'd be other days where he'd be like, Yeah, let's you know, let's meet up tomorrow morning and then like three PM comes along and he's like, Oh yeah, I'm just you know, I'm just uh you know, finishing up, let's you know, I'll meet I'll meet you in an hour then like we meet up at like 10 p.m for dinner yeah
0: exactly and do you, the, the night starts in brazil around 10 or 11 yeah. you know and then you go until eight in the morning and that's like the entire night it's it's crazy man yeah so it, it
1: definitely could just be part of the culture yeah
0: it's, i think it's completely part of the culture it's just it's embedded in their blood
1: i like it so what do you think of chiang mai so far besides so the networking is great the nomad scene's is great yeah what do you think of just like the living the cost of living things like that
0: yeah i mean the cost of living is I mean, I've never spent this amount of this little amount of money and have so much, you know, and I'm not a big consumer. I don't like having a bunch of things. It's not me as a person, but going out to eat, going to the gym every day, having a nice apartment and doing all that for like, I think less than fifteen hundred is. Let's break it
1: down. So what were you paying for these things in New York?
0: Okay, so my apartment and um, was fifteen hundred and that's with two other roommates so I had a three-bedroom place with two other people. Total cost was forty-five hundred. Wow! And, and this is
1: even in New York. This is across and this is the out, river. <laughs> this is
0: across the river. You know, most of my friends spent about twenty-five hundred a month on a, so, a studio yeah. apartment. So if you don't want to, if you don't want to have to
1: commute for an hour, yeah. and you want to just be in the actual city.
0: If I want to be near work, like ten minutes, like same as here. And I wanted to live alone, same as here, in a one bedroom, same like, as here. Look, if I, exact, exact same place, exact yeah. same place, ten minutes walk from my office. It would be three thousand two hundred, three thousand three hundred dollars. And what are you paying here? Uh, about four hundred U.S. dollars. <laughs> four hundred U.S. dollars that's for my Same. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like a tenth of the cost. Yeah, a hundred. It's like a tenth of the cost. Just and that's and. In New York, it would be the electricity is even more so, and cable and internet, so you can add another three hundred dollars a month to that. Oh my so god! So I think my utilities in New York would have been as, almost as much as my apartment here.
1: That's so crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's So crazy, right? Yeah,
0: it's it's so different. It's so different. And then um, food. I if I break down my New York lifestyle, I think every morning I was cooking myself, so that was f- like five or ten dollars. Um, because I was eating, I was buffing, I was working out, so I was eating a lot of protein. And buffing then, is that a word? Buffing. I was bulking. 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 I was <laughs> okay. bulking. I was bulking. And uh, and then lunch was anywhere between ten and twenty dollars, depending on if I went to Chipotle, which was like ten bucks, or out with the the company, which was like twenty dollars, like at a sit down restaurant. Um, and then uh, dinner I would go out almost every night, and that could be anywhere from. 20 to 40 bucks, depending on what the, the, the guys wanted to do. You know, we go to a sushi place. It was easily $40 for one night. So you, my, my daily expenses for eating and living food wise was anywhere between 20 and $60 a day in, in New York. And what what are you spending here? Uh, Under 10 bucks. I I think breakfast cost me a dollar 50 lunch on average. It's about $2 and dinner. Yes. So we $2. just had
1: we just had lunch. We had some noodles. Yeah. How
0: much was that? That was um, 55 baht, which is what? $1.40? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really cheap. <laughs> I'm not used to that at all. Yeah. I, I probably could get a... I can't even get a protein bar for that in the United States.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's insane, right? Yeah. And this is like a sit-down meal. It was nice. It was nice.
0: You know, some water, sit down for like 30 minutes. It was very good service, like nice atmosphere. It's not like just a corner shop or a... Fast food place. Yeah. So you going to move back to New York anytime no. soon? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going back to New York, man. I was there last month for a conference and I was getting anxious. You know, I was like, I can't be here anymore. Why? Toby? me. I, I just like had these memories of walking back and forth and going commuting to the office and like 14 hour days. And I was just like, I need to, I, I can't do this. Like I can be there for a couple of days, go to a conference, meet some people. But then I start thinking about my old life and I just had to get out. It's (laughs) it's so crazy
1: because you had the best life. I mean, people that are living in, like, Michigan
0: are dreaming about your life in New York. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people think of New York as one way. And it's definitely an amazing city. Don't get me wrong. I have nothing against New York. I love it as a city. It's a great place to be. And there's huge opportunity. You know, if you want to grow as an individual or up a corporate ladder or find a job in marketing or advertising especially... Like New York is an epicenter, but you know, it just at some point, it wasn't for me anymore. So let me ask you this: Everyone I've ever met that that works in New York
1: always works insane hours, All right. I remember flying in there once and telling my friend, like you know, saying, "Oh yeah, let's grab dinner on Friday," and then then I message him and say, "Oh hey, like sorry, I actually don't get in until seven, yeah. you know, like you know, we're not we're not gonna make dinner. I'm, I'm probably not gonna be able to get into the." You know, actually check in until like nine, and he's like, "Oh, it's perfect." Yeah,
0: he's like, okay, I'll be, I'll, I'll be off, off work." <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true, man. Everybody, I mean, if it I s Friday is usually the exception, but most people are working till eight, nine o'clock during the Monday through Thursday, and they go home early on Friday, which can be like six, maybe seven, if you're lucky. So yeah, it's all the time, and I'm, most people even go on on weekends. Some like some weekends, I think at least. One week in a month, I was just focused on emails and work. You know, like I, one weekend, I was dealing with like 500 emails that I had to get through from our agency. We were launching um, one of our campaigns online, and my whole life was dedicated to getting this marketing campaign out. And that, that was it for like two weeks, just completely focused on that, eating, going to the gym, and that. And that was my entire life. That was my entire life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I actually remember saying to my friends like, you know, I, I don't know if the restaurant's still going to be open then, like maybe we should call ahead. <laughs> yeah. And he's like he's like it'd be open. Yeah, exactly. And he had no doubt in his mind. <laughs> and I was like, let me let me just call. We just make sure. <laughs> yeah. I was like, um, what time do you guys stop serving dinner? And they're like, oh, 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Exactly. Yeah, man, it it's a 24-hour city. You can get food at any point there. Here in Chiang Mai, <laughs> I was trying to go get food at like 12 because I'm used to doing that in New York and I had to go to 7-Eleven. That was the only place that was like open at 12 o'clock. So it's completely different. Than yeah, here.
1: it kind of encourages a healthier lifestyle here. A
0: hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, no more beer every day at the office and yeah. putting on weight. So
1: Yeah. Oh, man, I had so much beer in Europe. I, I gained so much weight. And I think it, I, I would say half of it was just from beer.
0: Yeah, it's beer weight. You know, it's it's completely true. Alcohol weight is like the hardest. And I remember reading one of your blogs when you were down in Phuket um, training. And you, you specifically say... Drinking one night loses helps you lose all the gains that you made from the, the week before. So it is it can if you do and then if you start drinking every day, there's no such thing as a gain anymore. It's just gaining weight. That's yeah. it. Especially if you're trying to trying to buffing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. So what are your
1: what are your plans? Um, how long are you staying out in Chiang Mai for? Like business wise, what are, what are your what are your plans?
0: Yeah. So um, I am staying in Chiang Mai until Christmas. So I'm gonna do. I'm actually going to Japan for a week. Uh, In between for a visa run, and then um, I'm going to go home to Boston for two weeks, and then I actually fly down to Argentina and travel from Argentina to Colombia for four months.
1: Wow, that's crazy. Okay,
0: so Chiang Mai until when? Chiang Mai until December 23rd. Okay,
1: and then Japan, hang out Japan, have some sushi.
0: Yeah, have some sushi. Okay, and then back to
1: the US for Christmas or yeah,
0: two two weeks, Christmas and New Year's.
1: See your your family lives there, so yeah, and in Boston. What what do they think about your your life i guess <laughs> you know
0: it's it's interesting because i luckily have a very supportive family i have two sisters one older and one younger and they've known i wanted to do this for years so they're super supportive and my dad actually was an entrepreneur himself when he was young he would buy a, a property and rent it out so back in um the time before the internet um he was doing that so he always had a passion for it but then he went down um kind of the government path, right? So he now is a superintendent at a high school. So he did all of that. Um, and when I told him, I really just want to pursue my own thing. It was close to his heart. So hundred percent supportive. My mom, my mom is the type of person which just listens very well and, and kind of, Gives her input and then supports whatever her kids want to do. So I'm super lucky when it comes to my family. They're 100% behind me, which is Man, great. That's great. Yeah.
1: My mom never listens at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's a cultural thing, I yeah. think, right? Yeah. Because my, my friend Billy, he's um, who's here as well, he's actually half Laos. And it's a very cultural thing when it comes to the way parents react to news you know, and support.
1: So you guys uh, decided to come together?
0: Or- yeah. Yeah. I mean... I would have come by myself, um, but I just threw the I softballed the idea at him like in August, and he said yes right away. So, I was what like, was he doing back then? Back then? Um, he runs his own agency, so he basically is a freelancer slash agency for design, um, marketing, and so on. So he kind of he can re- work remotely. He has for the past two years. And
1: he was in New York before too.
0: Uh, he was in Boston. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So he uh, he's. Bo- he 's mainly in Boston, but he started, he started dating um, a girl in New York, so he was back and forth between Boston and New York for the past year okay yeah
1: cool and, and now i'm sure you got to see him more
0: now than you did
1: when you lived in New York
0: yeah, he lives right next door in the same building Yes. fantastic right? <laughs> yeah he's awesome. go to dinner all the time we can we actually worked on a YouTube video yesterday just eating Thai food like in front of us and like judging it mm-hmm. and we get to do it we get to do that for an hour you know like we never we we've been friends for a very long time and we haven't been able to be this close for, for years.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's one of the coolest things about this lifestyle and then being able to get your friends to do it as well. Yeah. You just spend so much more quality time. Exactly. Uh, one of my best friends, a guy named Chris Lil, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, I probably see him more than I, I, I would see my friends that lived in the same city as me when yeah. I was back in the US. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's, it's crazy. You know, like, I think the other thing is because of the community you built here, everyone joins into that community, like the coffee, digital nomad event that you put on. Everyone starts getting close because you're all here doing the same thing and it's nice to create those friendships and have people to go out with so you actually get closer Well, in New York there's so much going on, there's so many different connections that you have, whether it be business or friendships, that you sometimes push things aside, you know? And I also think people would just work way more yeah. in New York. So. Yep
1: the few hours you have you're like you know, or you're either recovering from being drunk yeah exactly (laughs) or you're like okay I gotta squeeze in this time with this one friend yeah exactly while here it seems like everyone's just so
0: free all the time yeah do you know and you can talk to anyone like Johnny we met by my friend asking you if you ran this podcast and then you introducing yourself to me in five minutes you know I was like
1: oh I was like hey I'm gonna go grab some
0: soup do you wanna go yeah exactly (laughs) like that was three minutes after we started talking yeah that would never happen in New York. It wouldn't. Yeah. So he'd be like, "Hey, you know,
1: hey, hur- you know, hurry up, you know, get out of my way."
0: <laughs> exactly. Oh, you're walking too slow. If you're the guy that walked too slow in New York, <laughs> I got yelled at, at
1: in a bagel line in New York because <laughs> I, I, I think I was, I was in line and I like couldn't decide what to get. I think I asked. I was like, "Hey, like, you know, hey, what's better the, um, I don't know, sun dried tomato or the whatever?" Yeah. And the guy's like, "Get, you know, get the head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't know what you want already. You yeah. should have ordered and yeah. paid. Seriously. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, it's so, true. so stressful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it, it, that's that's why I was getting anxious in New York. You know, like every decision has to be planned out and you need to know what you want. So, uh, yeah, man, it's really good. So, yeah. And then after Christmas, I'm going to South America. So nice. Argentina, Brazil, up to Colombia.
1: What what made you want to go to South America?
0: Um, When I lived in Brazil for a year, I just like I fell in love with it. And I wanted to spend, cause, but that was working, right? So I was working at Unilever. I was spending, again, 12 hours a day talking to people in London where the headquarters was, talking to people in the US, working with the local Brazilian team. And that was my life, right? I went to some parties like on the weekend and traveled a little bit to Rio and like Florianopolis, which is an island to the south of Sao Paulo. But I never got like the full experience of being able to meet people along the road, you know, and like integrating with the community more and really seeing things like I want to go see Machu Picchu and I want to go see Iguazu Falls and all these places that like I'm passionate about seeing but never like could do that when I was in the corporate world so now I'm I'm gonna get another friends coming and we're gonna just kind of backpack slash bus ourselves around and stay at hostels with good internet
1: nice man <laughs> how yeah. cool is that yeah like seriously this is the dream right? yeah
0: exactly it's it's gonna be so much fun I'm, I've never been more excited how many people do you think are listening to this right now just like saying like, fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> fuck my life. <laughs> well, they just need to take the steps, man. They just need to pull the trigger. It's, that's the hardest part. It's just like, I left a, a very nice job to pursue what I wanted, you know, be, and take a risk. You know, it's not guaranteed that I'm going to be successful, but I promise you one thing, I'll be happy while I do it.
1: I like that. And there's a good enough chance of being successful Yeah. Where it's worth it.
0: Exactly. That risk and the payoff could be greater. You know, like there's a cap in the corporate world. You can climb the the pyramid and get to a certain number and maybe get to VP. Or if you're really smart and lucky, you'll be one of the CEOs in the world. But majority of people are going to get to management and stay there, you know, and get 3% increases year over year, do the same thing year over year. Well, what Johnny, what you've shown with your blog and many people have shown is if you put the effort in, you exponentially grow your income and salary. Yeah. So instead of doing 3%, time.
1: you can do a hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah.
0: And, and then you build the lifestyle that you want on top of that re- revenue and that recurring revenue and people, thousands of people know you, right? And like you have a community that follows you. You can't do that when you're in the corporate world. You report to one person and you have to follow the rules of that one person.
1: I think the biggest problem being the corporate world is you also have to watch what you say. Yeah. So like you can't, Get you know, like you can't even share it like this information because, first off, you know, your boss is probably like, Why are you sharing all our secrets? <laughs> yeah, right? yep. uh, why are you telling our competition what you know, what we're doing, what's working? Yeah, exactly. And then you can't have any kind of personality because then yeah. <laughs> you have to be like that, I don't know, that, I don't know, that cookie cutter, tie, ty- tie and yeah, ex- uh,
0: yeah, exactly. The the thing is, there, there is like the intrapreneur, we call it, like the individual. That kind of blows up within the the company and they grow very fast because they have ideas and so on So you can be an entrepreneur within the company, but you're being an entrepreneur to like 10 people 20 people within your specific department that knows you really well and they determine whether you're successful or not right if you upset one individual or don't get along with another. They can completely cripple your growth over time. I would
1: hate that to have to like kind of play this like, um, it's almost like politics. It's company it, politics. 100%. Fuck that. I yeah. To do that. <laughs>
0: I, I mean, it's really, you have to, in the corporate world, if you want to grow, you have to do two things really well. Your job really well, actually average. If you're average at your job and really good at politics, you will grow. If you're really good at your job and really good at politics, you'll be a VP. You know, if you're really bad at politics and really good at your job, you might grow a little bit, but it'll be slower. Someone will have to be supportive of you and push you along because you're not good at the political game. So people don't understand in corporate world. There's two sides of the coin that you have to learn both of them in order to grow your career. I would hate to do that. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's two full-time jobs, man. Yeah, your job and then your your social political um, clout, basically.
1: I remember like just going to meetings and like. Even when you talk to people in the office, you, you have this different persona that you, you have to kind of put forward, like the professional guy, you know? Yeah. And then on weekends, you see the same people getting fucking
0: wild. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're breaking free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so true, man. It, it's like two It's two different people, 100%. 100% yeah. one hundred I
1: think that my favorite thing about being a successful nomadic kind of entrepreneur is we really have so much freedom and, and freedom not only with like financial freedom because costs are low here and we're able to bootstrap our money and our know, money goes so far. Yeah, Not only with time, time freedom because we're you know able to set our own hours and we don't have any many responsibilities, not only with location freedom where we can go wherever we want, but also kind of personal freedom where you can really be wherever the hell you want to be. You can really be yourself. And if people don't like it, they don't have to hang out with you. Exactly. Like, if someone doesn't like me, don't listen to my podcast. It's, it's insane how many people I get like commenting on my, my blogs or messaging me that they're like, fuck you, Johnny. I'm like, you? I'm like well, just don't listen to me. They're exactly. Like, you know? I'm like, stop listening to the podcast if you hate me.
0: Exactly. It's so true. Man, you don't have to put a face on for everybody to make sure that they like you. It's so true, man. Right. I. There's definitely people I've met here that I want to hang out with all the time, and there's people here I have no intention to talk to again. You know, like I'm gonna be nice to everybody, but if I if we don't cling, our personalities don't get along. Like I don't need to talk to you again, Johnny. Like yeah. I think we we do great, but like if we didn't like each other, great, let's move on. From, and in people that follow me or talk to me on Instagram or so on and so forth, it's the same thing. You know, I don't expect. Everyone to love me, and I don't want to be that individual that tries to make everybody happy.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely true. And you know what? Here's the thing: is just because we don't get along doesn't mean you're not a successful person, or you're not. You know, other people aren't going to get along with you. It's just that we might not have anything in common. Exactly. You know, I think one of the reasons why we have a lot in common is we're both American. We're we're both like Chiang Mai. We both like this nomad scene. Yeah. There's another guy who might be, you know, a guy who's twice my age, you know, like a fifty-year-old British guy, that have nothing in common with, you exactly. Know? And I'm not, I'm just not going to be friends with him because not because he's a bad guy, yep. not because he's not smart, not because he's successful, because. He has nothing to do with me.
0: Exactly. There's, there's nothing that, like, we're working towards a similar goal, which brings us together instantly. You know, and a lot of people in pun space and at the coffee house, it makes easy talking points. It makes it very simple to get along. But there's individuals that, like, I go to breakfast every day at the same place. I have American breakfast, egg and sausages. And there's older gentlemen there that are here for other reasons. And um, those reasons are not why I'm here and the way they talk and the way they think is completely different meaning. I'll be nice to them, but I have no reason to continue a conversation even though they're in the same restaurant with me every morning. Yeah, I absolutely
1: agree with that, I, I like it. So this has
0: nothing to do with anything we just talked about,
1: but I want to get this on this episode. Why am I not buying the new MacBook Pro? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I asked I asked Johnny earlier, hey, are you, um, are you buying the uh, MacBook Pro that just came out? And he said, wait until the podcast. I'm like, okay.
1: <laughs> so this is my rant about the MacBook Pro, okay? <laughs> I know this is a tech review blog, but this is actually, you know, I guess this is kind of related to the Nomad lifestyle because we, we need a laptop, and it's important for us to, to have, you know, kind of like the best value, right? So what I love about my current laptop, which is the 2013 MacBook Air, this is the best of value in the world. Uh, I got this when I first started making money in 2013 in my first dropshipping store. And this is like my first big purchase ever. You know, the idea of buying a $1,000 laptop, I was like, oh my God, that's so much. And now the new one is like two grand. Two grand. It starts at 1,800. Yep. Uh, So the reason why I like this the MacBook Air so much more in terms of value is it's actually a little bit lighter even though they say they're both three pounds, that's if you round. This is actually a little bit lighter. Uh, it's you know it has like a normal keyboard, normal trackpad, everything. Like it just works. Like, yeah. It just works. You know, it's fast enough to edit videos. Yeah. It's fast enough to do literally everything. It has better battery life than the new one.
0: Yep. Uh, and it has ports. All right. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, right? I, instead of just having two USB C ports ports you have everything you need here or four depending on which model you buy and you don't have to buy a bunch of adapters for this exactly so i
1: you know right now i'm using the usb the normal standard usb port to plug this mic in um if i want to sync my iphone which just came out 2 weeks ago can't even see with the, the you like you the can't 7. yeah you can't even sync the your iphone 7 with the new macbook pro unless <laughs> you get a, a dongle or whatever, <laughs> yeah, which is exactly. insane
0: yeah they didn't even think about that right All, i mean we, it's still a standard USB that comes in the iPhone Seven box. Yeah. So you'd have to get another adapter.
1: Exactly. Um, my Thunder, what was it? No, my Mini Display Port out to HDMI, so I can watch all my movies on my, you know, on like a normal big screen TV. You have to get an adapter for that yep. as well. And I just started. I actually added everything to the cart because I was ready to buy. I was just actually going to buy the basic one, the fourteen ninety nine. Yeah, because I'm like I don't really care about the touch bar. I'm sure it, maybe it would be awesome in a few years, but I don't see myself needing it. All the you know, all the commands on there, like are it's not like we have a bunch of f you know f keys that do nothing. Yeah, we you know these actually do stuff. This lowers the brightness. This does the you know um, pause, you know, pause, skip. play, skip. Yeah, yeah. The volume, the power button, the escape button. I actually use
0: every single one of these buttons. I do as well, a hundred percent.
1: Yeah. So. You know, I'm not worried about about that. Um, so I was just going to buy the standard one, and then I was like, okay, well, you know what? If I have to buy a couple, if I have to buy an adapter, so be it, right? So I start searching for it on Apple Store, and first I can't even find some of them. Wow. <laughs> and then when I do find them, I'm like, okay, it's sixty nine dollars for this one, and then that only. You know, supports one USB uh, drive, so I had to buy another USB one, which is another twenty bucks. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm probably gonna lose that because it looks so small. Yep. And then I was like, Oh man, now I gotta do this. I do this, and I started adding it up, and I was like, This is another two hundred dollars worth of adapters.
0: Yeah. So you're spending over two grand. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, for what?
1: Yep. (laughs) And all I want, all I wanted, was them to put Retina on the MacBook Air.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what I was hoping for, too. You know, I was thinking they were going to come out with the MacBook upgrades. Uh, the Pros, and then also an upgrade to the Air, which would have been perfect. That's what I've been waiting for for, like, three years, because I have a 2012 MacBook Pro, like, with the Retina, and the only reason I never switched to an Air is because I like the Retina display, and I was hoping they would take this Air and add the Retina display, and then that's what I've been buying. Yeah, if they did nothing but add Retina
1: to this exact
0: MacBook, I'd buy it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, this is, I still believe this is the best one. Now, we haven't seen the new MacBook Pros, and maybe once we see it, it will completely change our minds, but... Until the adapters catch up, until everyone shifts to the new C-style USB, and even the phones give you the proper plugs, I'm not gonna buy it either.
1: Yeah, so I'm not gonna buy it now either, uh, even though I do want it, You know, because I've been waiting for a ma- uh, new laptop for a few years. There's really nothing wrong with this one. I, I kind of just want Retina, but for no real reason. I don't even really even need it. And I think the longer, as, as long as I don't start using a Retina, You never have to, because your eyes won't
0: adjust. Yep. I completely agree.
1: Yeah. But once you use it, you can't go back.
0: Exactly. Like, I can't, when I look at the Air now, it's, every time I switch, like, to a friend's Air, it's a little more difficult to look at, and you can see the pixels, and it's always, like, in the back of your mind, because I have the retina, but if you were using an Air all the time, or a regular computer that's not a retina display, you won't even notice. Yeah,
1: exactly. It really doesn't matter. Um, So... Here's my thoughts on the USB-C. So if you guys aren't familiar, you guys are like, what the hell are these guys talking yeah. about? Uh, Apple just came out with the new MacBook Pro line, which replaced all ports. So you no longer have USB ports. You never no longer have like HDMI ports or any of that. No SD card slot, nothing. No power. You, uh, no power slot, <laughs> Yeah. So now you have just a couple USB-C type ports, with, which is this new port you probably haven't even seen before unless you've seen the MacBook MacBook, I guess. Yeah. The twelve inch MacBook. Um, I think it's a good thing in the future because it really is the the best port. Yep. You know, it's smaller, it can go in any direction, so you don't have to fumble around. Yeah. It can support charging, so you can like plug a monitor in and you know and have it be both con- the connection as well as the um power, source. Know, power the source, which is awesome. Uh, it's universal so you know window users can use it mac users can use it like it's just way better yeah uh, so i do think it's the future and i'm glad apple is forcing manufacturers to switch everything over
0: because if they didn't there'll be no one to force it exactly and the the problem though at the same time is just like any other technology you're going to have to wait 6 to 12 months before everything you buy is USB-C, right so right now it's adapter heaven right now there's no accessories all the accessories are mac accessories which you know will cost you two hundred dollars instead of 50 for like an external hard drive um but over the next 12 24 months then i think it'll be very easy to switch but right now it's it's very difficult
1: yeah and that's why i'm gonna wait at least a year for a new mac uh there's nothing wrong with mine now except for the battery is going a little bit wonky uh, so I might just get a new battery. You know, it's yeah. like a hundred twenty bucks. That's and not bad. Yeah, and then I'll ha- I'll need a new battery anyways before I sell it.
0: Yeah, cool. yeah, so. you, and you can probably pull another four or five hundred dollars when you sell it. You yeah, know? Uh, any MacBook over three years is you can still make a good money. I think that's what's cool
1: about Max is they hold their value so well, and they don't really age. Like this MacBook Air is still like top of the line. You know what I mean? Like.
0: Yeah, and do you know what's interesting, IBM, I think TechCrunch just had an article about IBM saying that it's actually 25% cheaper to buy a MacBook Air than another PC because of the lifelong expectancy of the Mac itself, the resale value and so on, it's actually cheaper to buy a Mac most of the time than it is to buy a PC. I, I can see that. And it's so much easier to sell. Yeah. Like if I wanted to sell this computer, I could sell it tomorrow. I could sell it today maybe. Com- completely. Put it on eBay, eBay, five days later it'll be gone yeah or even here in Chiang Mai yeah. the digital nomad community definitely um, so that is our Johnny's tech rant for the week
1: <laughs> I guess if you if you like it leave a comment and let us know and we'll try to have more of that if you hate it also leave a comment and say Johnny like if I want to know about MacBooks I'll just go on I don't know YouTube I guess <laughs>
0: TechCrunch Apple yeah. Yeah.
1: Apple.com yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah thanks so much for being on the show I, this is fun I, no I problem man.
0: thanks for inviting me I really yeah. enjoyed it as well
1: so if people want to keep in touch or reach out to you what's the best way?
0: Um, um or one of the stores we talked about earlier you can just email any of the support I guess if you want um, so, but ericloflesch.com I'm doing some blogging and some updates and on my YouTube channel ericloflesch
1: very Flesch. cool so fleshlight.com <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry for Eric. laughs>
0: yeah something like that so, so if you just type in fleshlight.com you will definitely not get my
1: site All right, so uh, I'll make sure Anthony puts these links in the show notes. This is episode 135 of the Travel Like Boss podcast. Thank you guys so much for all the five-star reviews you've been leaving on iTunes. It's been the best way to spread the word on this podcast and get people like Eric listening to it all the way from New York and getting his ass to move to Chiang Mai. So thank you for doing your part, and I hope to see all of you guys out here. Peace out.